All right, let's look in the book of Romans. Look in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Now, if you was with us on Wednesday night, uh, Wednesday night we started, we start going through the book of Romans. I'm going to do my best. <clears throat> I, I said Wednesday night, uh, Romans is such a big book. There's so much in there that I really hate to commit to anything, not because I hate commitment, but I just, it's uh, a long way from Romans 1-1 to Romans chapter 16. And so I committed on Wednesday night of getting through Romans 1. Now that's all about that's about all you can do when you got a big project just take one step at a time and so so we started uh wednesday night and we looked at verse one and we we, we did i didn't finish everything that i wanted to say out of uh out of romans chapter one verse one so we're going to look there again tonight and this will really be a continuation on from wednesday night service we uh wednesday night i preached about being a biblical servant, I, I didn't really call it that on Wednesday night, but that's exactly what the sermon was all about. And so we're going to pick up with that, and we're going to talk about something uh, related but a little bit different. So let's have a word of prayer, and we'll dive in here in the book of Romans. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us tonight. Lord, we do thank you for salvation. God, thank you, Lord, God, that it's true, Lord, the only fire, Lord, that we ever will feel. Lord, having trusted your Son is burning in our hearts. God, Lord, we thank you for the, the gift of your Son. God, Lord, thank you for sending him to die for unworthy people, Lord. And I thank you for that, God. I pray that you'd help us. God, forgive us, Lord, for not being thankful enough. But, God, how we do thank you, Lord. We pray tonight, God, as we gather here around your word, Lord, I pray you'd forgive me, Lord, of anything, Lord, that might be between you and I, Lord, that would hinder me, God, from saying, what you want said, and I pray that you'd lead me, guide me, help me to say these things clearly, and uh, Lord, as plainly as they can be said, help me, Lord, not to confuse anybody else or confuse myself, and we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. All right, Romans chapter 1, just going to read, well, I said I was going to say we're going to read just the first verse, verse, but let's read a little bit. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he had promised promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Now, that is what you'll be dealing with, what we'll be dealing with as we go through the book of Romans. We'll be dealing with uh, an explanation, really, of the gospel, what the gospel is. And there's a lot of things that we can say about that, but I want to draw your attention again one more time tonight back to verse 1 where he says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. So there's three things in that verse. Obviously, Paul's identifying himself. If you remember from Wednesday night, Paul, you know who that is. He's writing the letter. But then he calls himself a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle. So there's a servant, there's an apostle. And then he says the last thing, he says, separated unto the gospel of God. So we looked Wednesday night about the fact that Paul is a special individual in the church and that he is an apostle. Now, everybody can't be an apostle. And we looked at Acts chapter 1 at the fact that there's specific requirements in order to be an apostle. And one of those, well, the requirement is that you have to have been with Jesus Christ from the baptism of John to the time that uh, he goes up and ascends into heaven in Acts chapter 1, Luke chapter 24, so forth and so on, all the other gospel accounts. And as far as I know, none of you is that old to qualify. Some of you might be real old, but you're not that old. 
See, I, what I just did is I indirectly said you're young. So you can take that as a compliment, all right? Uh, but anyways, so you don't qualify to be an apostle. But Paul says right here in verse 1, he says, a servant of Jesus Christ. And every single one of us qualify for that, all of us. And I went on to try to point out to you the fact that Paul identifies himself first as a servant and then after that an apostle. And if you remember, one of the things I was trying to, I, I'm not trying to re-preach the sermon, but all these things tie together. What I'm going to try and point out to you tonight, which is the last part of the verse, this all relates. And so what I was trying to point out to you on Wednesday night is the fact that a lot, what a lot of folks are trying to do is they're trying to be an apostle. That's a specific place in the body of Christ. Everybody don't hold that place. We looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and Paul said, are all apostles are all prophets. And he goes through and he says, do all have this, this gift? Do all have that gift? And the implied answer is no, they don't. Everybody doesn't feel the same place in the body of Christ. All are in the body. If you've trusted Christ, I should say, I should say that. You don't, you don't get in the body of Christ by just being born. That, that is how you get in Adam. But being in Adam will send you to hell. And you want to be in Christ. And the way that you get in Christ is by trusting Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. you got to know that you're a sinner. You can't get saved without knowing that you're a sinner. Let me just take a time out here for just a second and say that you can't get saved without knowing that you're a sinner. So I've just, I feel like I've always been saved. Well, you just feel wrong. You're going to have to put your feelings in subjection to what God says in His Word. And God said, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now that includes you. It includes me. It includes every man that's ever walked the face of the earth except Jesus Christ. Paul the Apostle was included in that. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the only solution for that is Christ died in your place. Christ paid a sacrificial payment. It was a substitutionary payment. And if you'll trust what he did for you at Calvary, God will take Christ's righteousness and impute it to you. And he'll take your sins and lay them on the shoulders of his son, Jesus Christ. And you can be saved. You can be what's called born again. That's the greatest thing that's ever happened to you. Better than getting married? It, it's better than, you know, working your favorite job and doing the most favorite thing that you want to do. The greatest thing that could ever happen to you is you trust Jesus as your personal Savior. And the worst thing that could ever happen to you is you go through this life with a hard heart rejecting Jesus Christ and thinking that you're going to pay your own way and then die at the end of your life and go straight to hell because that's what will happen. And I don't say that with any kind of pleasure. I don't say that with any kind of glee. I just tell you because it's true. And listen, uh, if your house was on fire, a concerned friend would say, hey, your house is on fire. And if you haven't accepted Christ as your Savior, your house is on fire. It's just a matter of time before it gets to you. And so you need to trust Jesus. Now that's sermon number one. So let's get back to sermon number two. So here you have Paul. He says, he says, he says first I'm a servant. And then an apostle. So you're not going to find, listen, as a Christian, a lot of folks are looking for their specific place in the body. But what they often find themselves doing is bypassing this mentality of, hey, I'm a servant. I'm a servant. And I, I want to point something out to you, something that I didn't point out Wednesday night, but I, I know it's a valid, a valid point because it's right here in the verse. Look at what he says. Paul, a servant of, of who? It's Jesus Christ. Sure, God is, is right, but Jesus Christ is what he says. A servant of Jesus Christ. Now, that is not humanism. 
That, that's not humanism. Uh, a lot of folks are really big on being a servant, but they're big on being a servant of people. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I tell you this, if you're not a servant of Jesus Christ, you're not really going to serve other folks. Uh, the Bible says that David, in the book of Acts, a man was preaching, and I don't remember who it was right off the top of my head. It might have been Stephen, but he said, Stephen or Peter, he said David served his own generation by the will of God. And the best thing, the best way that you can serve the people that you're around is by finding God's will. Yeah, that's right. Doing what God wants you to do. And being a servant of Jesus Christ, not a mystical, magical thing, just open up the Bible and see what commands God has given to you and, and obey those things. I, I heard somebody say this, and I kind of like it. Actually, I, I like it a lot, not because I'm, I'm perfectly in compliance with it 100% of the time, but because it's true. That's why you should like things, by the way. Not because it measures up to you, but because it's right and it's true. But somebody said, uh, they said, obedience is not legalism. It's evidence of salvation. And that's a fact. That's a fact. A lot of folks is hollering about legalists, legalists, all oh, this guy, he's, he's a legalist. No, it's obedience. It's obedience. Just open up the Bible. And listen, it's good. You need preachers. But it'd do you good to open a Bible yourself and find out what God told you to do. What, see it with your own eyes. It, there's a big difference between getting it secondhand and getting it firsthand. Amen. That, that's true. But before you're going to find your specific place in the body, You've got to make yourself a servant. Make yourself a servant. Make yourself available. Make yourself available. If you remember back in the book of Exodus, we looked in the book of Exodus 21, and we talked about how that uh, well, Exodus 20, let me say this, Exodus 20 is the Ten Commandments. Now, you should know that. That's very important. If somebody says, what's in Exodus 20, you should know off the top of your head, Ten Commandments. That would be something really good for you to know. But... Exodus 21, it, it's always astounded me that immediately after those Ten Commandments, he starts issuing what he calls God, what he calls judgments. And the first thing that he deals with is this matter of a, of a, of a servant. Uh, if you've got a Hebrew servant, talking to the Hebrews, the Jews, if you've got a Hebrew servant, he's to serve with you for six years and then you to let him go in the seventh. If he doesn't want to go free, then what you do is you take him and you take him to a doorpost and you take an awl and you bore his ear through with an awl. And I, I've seen it often. I, I, I've seen it uh, a lot that uh, one of the marks of, of God's servants is that God has their ear. That, that's a fact. That's a truth. I believe that with all of my heart. But you could turn that thing around, and this was the application I tried to give you on Wednesday night. It's the fact that the reason that a lot of folks can't identify themselves as a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, or the reason that God doesn't talk to them, rather, is because they don't serve. They don't have the attitude of a servant. A lot of folks says, well, I really want to find something from God. I really want God to talk to me. And I believe if you're saved, listen, I believe if you're saved, you might be backslid as the devil here this evening. That is a possibility. But I believe if you're really saved, I believe there's something that resonates down in your soul when somebody begins to talk about knowing God and having fellowship with God, I believe there's something that reson resonates down in the soul of a man who's been born again and says, man, I'd really like to have that. Yeah, that's right. 
There, there's something that identifies with God the Holy Spirit, with God the Son, with God the Father on the inside. There's something that identifies with that and says, man, I want to know my Lord more. I want to have fellowship with God. And I, I'll be honest with you, I believe a lot of the hindrance for, I know it's been true in my own life, and I, I don't believe you're any different than I am. All flesh is as grass. Same kind of flesh standing in front of you as what's sitting in front of me. But uh, what hinders a lot of folks from getting a word from God is the fact that they just don't serve. They're not engaged. You show me, an, you show me a prophet in the Old Testament where God came to him and just started talking to him who wasn't engaged doing something. Now, you find a lot of folks to where God, it's almost like God picks up the narration right in midstream in their life. But I guarantee you every single one of those fellows, Elijah's one of those guys. First, First Kings 17 is right where it picks up. And it's almost like, well, man, what's Elijah been doing beforehand? The Bible don't give you a whole lot of detail. But I, I can imagine. I'm not going to say I guarantee because the Bible don't give me no record. So I can't say I guarantee. But I would imagine that Elijah was not sitting around. He was doing something. What was he doing? I don't know. But I bet you he was doing something. Uh, you find that principle with the disciples. The, the Lord finds these disciples. Hey, come and follow me. But every single one of those fellows, according to Acts chapter 1, one of the qualifications of being an apostle is that they have to have had attended in some way to the ministry of John the Baptist. So they was paying attention to what was going on as far as spiritual things are concerned. So those guys are not sitting around twiddling their thumbs, working a job. Several of them was fishermen. Some of them was tax collectors. I have a hard time believing that an IRS agent could be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's there. I mean, who am I to say that it, that it can't happen? But I, I struggle with that. You want to know parts of the Bible I struggle with? That's one of them. Old tax collector following Jesus. Mm. He had to quit all that stuff. <laughs> He had to leave that stuff behind. Uh, Peter, James, and John had to leave their fishing nets. And old Matthew, Levi, he had to leave his tax collecting table behind. I had to preach. I'm going to put a sermon together on that. Post it all over the internet. Let the FBI listen. Let the IRS, whatever. I'm not that important. They're probably not going to listen. But God, God's important enough. But all these fellas is engaged. All these fellas is serving. I just really want God to speak to me. Then get busy. Get busy. Now, uh, having re-preached the sermon for the last 10 minutes, like I said, I didn't want to do. And I really didn't. But look right here in verse 1. Look at what else Paul says. He says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. You qualify for that. I qualify for that. Called to be an apostle. There's Paul's specific place in the body of Christ. And then he says this, separated unto the gospel of God. Now, you know what separation is, don't you? I, I trust that you understand what separation is. Separation is taking things that are all together and taking some of those things and putting them over here and taking some of those things and putting them over here. Those things are not together anymore. So the thing that I want to point out to you is Paul says, he says, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ called to be an apostle. And the thing that he says is separated. Now, if you're going to serve the Lord, I can tell you this. You're going to have to separate yourself from some things. You're not going to be able to go through uh, the Christian life 
And listen, you don't get to make the rules. I don't get to make the rules. The Christian life is the way that God set it up to be. And if you're going to serve the Lord, you're going to have to separate yourself from some things. Now, you say, well, what things do I separate myself from? Well, there's a bunch of things, but I just want to get across to you right now for the time being. You keep coming. And we'll preach about what you need to separate from, but you've got to get it through your mind if you're going to be a servant. I'm just not going to be able to join myself to everything that I want to join myself to and just enjoy things as, like, I, like I want to. Listen, the day that you got saved, your flesh was not eradicated. It was not done away with. Uh, bad things still go through your mind. Uh, there's still temptations in the flesh. There's still things that you'd like to drink. There's still things that you'd like to smoke. Those things don't go away just because you get saved. The, the flesh is not eradicated. So what that means is that there's some places you're not going to be able to go. There's some people that you're not going to be able to hang around. There's some things that you're not going to be able to partake in in this life. You're just going to have to put those things away. You're going to have to be willing to separate yourself. And a lot of folks can't, can't serve the Lord because they're all mixed up, frankly. They're just, they're just all mixed up. That's what the world's large uh, push is right now. Just take things that are separated and just push them all together. Blur the lines. And that don't produce anything except confusion. It don't produce any kind of confidence. It doesn't produce any kind of assurance in anybody's heart. Not just saved folks. It don't produce any kind of confidence in lost people's hearts. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. The Lord called Israel his servant in Leviticus 25. Let's, let's take a look over there. Le Leviticus chapter 25. He calls Israel his servant over here. Leviticus 25 and look in verse 55. We'll just read one verse over here. Leviticus 25, 55, nothing, you know, super deep right here, but this is good for you to see. He says, for unto me the children of Israel are servants. They are my servants who I, whom I brought forth out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Now, Sunday school this morning, I told you that Egypt is a type of the world. Pharaoh's a type of the devil, right? Now, you, you haven't literally, you folks sitting in here, Christians, you haven't literally been delivered from Egypt. You understand that, don't you? But you have been delivered from this world. Galatians chapter 1 says, uh, I was going to quote it, but it went out just as fast as it came in. Let me read it to you right quick. Galatians 1 verse 4 says, uh, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. He's delivered us from this present evil world. You're still in it. You're here, aren't you? Okay, you're still in it, but you're not of it. Your relationship to the world is much, much different than it was before you got saved. Uh, the confusion is going to come in. The confusion in your Christianity is going to come in when you try to live like you, you were before you got saved. When you try to have the relationship with the world that you had before the Lord took you out of it. You're going to have a hard time ministering to people that are wrapped up in this world when you look just like they look, the thing that is, uh, the, the thing that attracts people to Christianity is not the fact that you're like, you're like them. The thing that attracts folks to Christianity, it, 
I don't know that this is really supremely spiritual, but it, it certainly is psychological. If you go out and you tell folks, hey, you need Jesus Christ, you need to be saved, you need to be born again, and then they turn around and look at you and say, why? <laughs> You're just like me. Well, by being the same, that doesn't say that there's anything that you have that they need. I mean, if folks in the world don't have peace and they don't have joy and they look at you and you don't have peace and you don't have joy, lost folks despise going to church, lost folks despise reading the Bible, lost folks despise, don't you preach to me. Ain't that what the world says to Christians? Don't you preach to me. Well, man, we're in an age now to where that's what Christians are saying. Yeah. That, that don't sound right. Something about that, it's not that it just don't sound right. It's foolish. Yeah. Well, see, you're not, gonna, you're not pointing out to them that there's something that they need, that there's something that they're lacking in their life. Uh, that's not being salty. Anyways, that, was, that just came down from the heavens. But that's all true. Well, you're a servant. You're a servant. Now, you know, that's Leviticus 25. You know what Exodus, Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy is filled with, it's filled with, don't do this, don't do that. You can't wear these kind of clothes. A Jew was not allowed to wear clothes where it was like cotton and wool mixed, uh, linen and wool mixed. It weren't allowed to wear those kind of garments. Whatever garment a Jew wore, he had to wear, it had to be pure clothes, like all 100% wool. 100% linen. That, why, why, Brother Nathan? I have no idea, except for the fact that God's people were supposed to be peculiar. They're not supposed to be like everybody else. That, that's, that's the way it's always been. Well, Brother Nathan, it sounds like, you know, a lot of preachers want us to just stick out like a sore thumb. Well, I think God wants you to just be distinct. I don't think I know. God has always desired for his people to be distinct. He told them Jews, now you don't have to wear a beard in order to be a Christian. We're not the nation of Israel. We're not a replacement for the nation of Israel. I'm just making some spiritual application. God told them Jews, he said, when you uh, trim your beard, he said, don't mar the corners of your beard. I'm still struggling to find what the corner of a beard is, to be honest. Uh, where is that? Um, but anyways, that's what he said, though. And if you was a Jew, you better know where it's at. Don't eat pork. My God, most Baptists would die of a heart attack, and I'd be one of them. Uh, I'd, I'd have a hard time. But, hey, if you was a Jew in the Old Testament, that was, well, you know, Brother Nathan, God told him that because there's these health benefits that you'll get from not eating a, 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 a pig. I'm not so sure about that. You might be right, but I doubt it. I believe it has more to do with the fact that God just wants his people to be different. Now, I'm, I, you, you say, Brother Nathan, that just seems unreasonable. Well, okay, you pray about it and come back with some theological statement, and I'll, I'll take it home and I'll pray about it. But all I'm telling you is that God wants his people to be different. He don't want them to blend in. God's not looking for God's people that are secret service agents. The Lord wants people to be different. So the, the folks that are constantly crying and saying, oh, this is just legalism. This is just legalism. These are folks. And listen, if you're one of those, I'm talking about you. I'm talking to you this evening. If you're one of those folks that's constantly crying when, somebody, when some preacher or some Christian comes along and says, hey, you shouldn't be drinking that beer. 
Hey, you shouldn't be gossiping. Did you know that God hates gossip? You, you, shouldn't be talk, you shouldn't be running your mouth about other people. Well, I ain't said nothing that's untrue. What's that got to do with anything? Listen, can I give you a good rule of thumb? If you're not willing to say it to their face, don't say it to somebody else. Don't, don't say it to somebody else. And I'll be honest with you. It's very possible that what you're saying to some, somebody else behind person A's back, really you do need to go tell it to them. So get with it. But I recommend this. Before you go, tell them why don't you pray about it. And I'm not, I'm not saying if, it, if it's right, I'm not saying pray about whether it's right. I'm saying why don't you pray for them. Spend some time praying about it. A lot of folks is gossiping about stuff. Uh, not because they really care about the folks that they're gossiping about. They're really trying to console their own conscience. They're trying to make themselves feel better about themselves. And so somebody stands up and says, hey, you need to shut your mouth and quit talking about folks. For whatever reason, here we are. You know what will kill a church? A bunch of folks get together and just pick each other apart. That, that will create a chasm in a church faster than anything. And, and listen, I'll just be honest with you. Uh, as, as far as I know, that hasn't happened too much in this church. But if it does... I believe it's the responsibility of a preacher or the pastor to stand up and start eating that stuff alive. And if you don't get that stuff right, we'll have to run you off. Uh, we're not looking for no clicks. We're not looking for folks to gather up in little piles with each other and have one little group over here that won't talk to this group over here and this group that's mad at this group. That's foolishness. That's not the way that a church is supposed to work. That's a political movement and a very poor one at that. Amen. Uh, that stuff needs to stay out of here. Amen. So if you're doing it, shut up. That's right. yeah. We'll just leave it at that and we'll move on. Brother Nathan, are you talking to me? If you're gossiping, yes, I'm talking to you. Amen. Amen. The Lord's talking to you, I should say. It's the Lord. So folks that are constantly crying out and saying, legalists, legalists, they're folks that are not serving. Uh, God comes to Aaron and he says, I want you to be the high priest. He actually goes to Moses and says, I want Aaron to be the high priest. And Aaron says, oh boy, man, this is going to be wonderful. A high priest is somebody who stands between God and somebody else. And he's the go-between. He's, he's almost a mediator, which is really an interesting thing. But don't have time to look at that tonight. So Aaron says, boy, this is going to be great. And so Aaron gets ready to march into the Holy of Holies. And God says, whoa, 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 wait, wait. You're not wearing the right clothes. Yeah. <laughs> You've got to put different clothes on. What's wrong with what I'm wearing? God said, it's not my clothes. It's not the clothes that I want you to wear. Yeah. Well, my clothes is just as good as anything you've got. God said, no, sir, it ain't. You understand this is not an argument that really took place, but this is an argument that takes place with Christians or professing Christians anyway. Hey, you should wear these kind of clothes. What's wrong with the clothes I got on? Well, you know, you can slip a quarter in your back pocket, ma'am, and everybody know whether it's heads or tails. Yeah. 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 Yoga pants is not for public wear. That, that's stuff that's it's not for public wear. Let's just leave it at that. that I think Miss Ruth used to sit right here, and she used to say they're leggings. And I don't know anything about a woman's wardrobe, but sounds right to me. Amen. 
little, feel a little weird. So I'm going to move on. Uh, but I don't feel weird saying that it's inappropriate. And I don't feel weird saying that, hey, you're not going to just be able to put any old thing on and act like God's okay with it. God's got standards. <laughs> all you preachers, bunch of legalists. Well, not all preachers are legalists. I can assure you that. Just go to Joel Osteen's church. Go listen to Joyce Meyer. They're not, they're not legalists. They're not going to worry about that stuff. C.C. Uh, Winans is not worried about what you're wearing. C.C. Winans will wear a hoodie while she's preaching. I said while she's preaching. While she's preaching. I want you to feel comfortable in church. I don't. I, I, when I say I don't, I want you to feel welcome, but I don't want to feel comfortable in church. I want to feel like I'm around the Lord. And there's always going to be something about sinful people being in the presence of God that makes you a little bit uneasy. Amen. That's why we don't put up a bar stool up here instead of a pulpit. That's right. Amen. We, we do things that, Brother uh, uh, Nathan, that's just a little bit edgy. It's supposed to be that way. There's supposed to be an edge when you come to church because the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper. It's sharp. There's an edge to it, sharper than any two-edged sword. Legalists. Well, all those folks are is just folks that they're not, they're not serving the Lord. Uh, the average Christian not going to be able to serve God because they're all mixed up. They're not willing to put things over here and to put things over there. He told the children of Israel, he said, he said, I'm giving you these laws. I'm giving you these commandments so that you're able to put a difference between things that are clean and things that are unclean. The mantra of the Laodicean church, the church today, in this part of the church age, the mantra today is, God knows my heart. I heard some, some gal a couple of weeks ago, it wasn't even that long, maybe a week or so ago, she said, she said, uh, she said you love people. Basically, she said, you love people by being curious about them. And you can't be curious about people if you're judgmental. Well, I got news for you. Listen, I got news for you. Uh, the Lord's very judgmental. And the Lord loved you. The Lord, the Lord loved you. And so, uh, you just can't serve God. You, you, a lot of folks not be able to serve God because they're just kind of all blended together. Just all crammed together. D this one thing's here. This one thing's here. Joshua told those children of Israel, he said, he said, choose you this day whom you're going to serve. And they said, we're going to serve God. It's like revival down at the church. We're going to serve God, preacher. And Joshua looked at him at the invitation at the altar call and said, what you down here at the altar for? We're going to serve God, brother Joshua. And he said, you can't serve God. What do you mean? Well, you still got these gods that your fathers were serving on the other side of the flood. You know, listen. What did Paul say right here in Romans chapter 1? What's he say? Separated, right? Yeah. Uh, we haven't even really got to the rest of the, the portion. But you've got to understand this. Joshua says you can't serve God because you've got these gods that your father served on the other side of the flood. When, it, when Israel came out of the land of Egypt, you know what they're carrying with them? They're, they're not carrying with them the Torah. Moses is writing it as they're living. 
they're not carrying New Testament scriptures for obvious reasons. They're not even carrying two tables of stone. They got to get to Exodus 20 before that takes place. You know what they're coming out of Egypt with? They're coming out of Egypt with Egyptian gods. They got little idols. And just lo and behold, by coincidence, they turn out to be some of the most backbiting, bickering, complaining people you've ever seen in the Bible. I wonder if there's a connection there. You know what's going on? Listen, you know what's going on? They're in the wilderness of divided affection. Trying to serve God. And I don't even know how hard they was trying to serve the Lord. I know Joshua and Caleb was trying to serve the Lord. So much to the degree God led them into the promised land when he killed the rest of their generation off because Joshua and Caleb believed them and the rest of them, oh, we can't go in. We can't defeat all those giants. Here they are trying to serve God. God's giving them all these rules and they're sitting here complaining because we ain't got nothing to eat and so God gives them manna. Uh, Our soul loatheth this dry bread. What about meat? We want some meat. Give us some fried chicken. And God said, I'm fresh out of fried chicken, but I'll tell you what I will give you. I'll give you some quail. And God lets them get get out there and gather as much quail as they can get. And the Bible says while they chewed it between their teeth, the wrath of God fell on them and started slaughtering them. That's, what, that's the kind of stuff. Well, what's going on? Well, the whole time they're quote-unquote trying to serve the Lord, they've got these idols hiding around in the back. And you just can't do it, man. Yeah. It's not going to happen, folks. You're not, there, there's things God's going to put his finger on in your life and tell you, hey, you're going to have to let that go. Yeah, that's right, huh? And you try to hold on to that stuff, and all it's going to do is serve to be a weight. Yeah. Yeah. Your mouth. How about your long tongue? Uh, gossiping, being mouthy. Some of you youngins, the greatest thing that's going to hinder you from serving God is the fact that you want to backtalk your mama and your daddy. You can't, listen to me, you can't serve God. You can't submit yourself to God without submitting yourself to your parents. I'll be right with God, but I'm not going to be right with my parents. It ain't going to happen. It's not going to happen. Well, my parents are no count. Pray for them since you're so spiritual. It's very possible you might be more spiritual than they are. That's very possible. That's possible. Okay, then be the bigger individual and pray for them. Miss a couple meals. Amen. It's true. It's true, it's true, it's true. And I don't say that to be a smart aleck. Listen, you young folks sitting in here, I don't say that to be a smart aleck at all. I don't say that to be a jerk. But it's right, it's the right thing to do. If mom and daddy ain't got a clue, and there are mamas and daddies that don't have a clue, well, start doing something about it. And in mom and daddy's face, it's not what God told you to do. But I'm right. See, you're going to have to get over that. You're going to have to get past that. And I'm not saying you're not right. I don't know what your issue is. I'm just telling you, you're going to have to do it God's way. Amen. That came down from the heaven too. All right. Look back here in Romans chapter 1. So you're going to have to be separated. You're going to have to separate yourself from some things. Now look at what he says. He says, what he says here is, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated from, no, that's not what he says, is it? 
he says, separated unto. So we look back in Exodus chapter 20 on Wednesday night, and you've got all these rules. You've got all these rules. Exodus 20, Ten Commandments, you've got all these rules. And Exodus 21, what you've got is, here's a servant who says, I love my master. I will not go out free. And his master, Israel's the servant. Master is God the Father. And take, take those folks out there. See, Exodus 20 is the Ten Commandments, but that's not really where the root of the rules are. You say, then where's the root of the rules? It's in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, our Lord is one Lord. Well, what are we supposed to do with this one God that we have? Love him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, with all your strength. Love him. You know why folks have a hard time with rules? They don't love the rule giver. It's a fact. Listen, I grew up in a home. I've given this testimony before, but this, it's a good illustration. I grew up in a home. My brother and I grew up in this church. My dad was the pastor of this church for, I don't know, 10 years or so. We grew up basically not on the same pew, but basically on the same pew. I think Doug may have sat over here, maybe sat somewhere else. And I sat in the same place. We had the same parents, had the same opportunities. A lot of things were the same. But my brother never, he, he now beginning to figure out, hey, life has got rules to it. Yeah. But he always had a hard time with rules. Always had a hard time with rules. And I was not a perfect kid, but I didn't have a hard time with rules. And I believe what the difference was. I, I don't know what was going on in his mind and in his heart. I do know some things just from what he's told me and from some things that I've seen in mine in his life. But I believe what the big difference was that was that he didn't love the people that were giving him the rules. Yeah. Let me put it this way. He didn't appreciate them. Yeah. He appreciates them now. Yeah. But that's... 10, 15 years down the road. And I'm not saying anything here this evening that I wouldn't say if he was sitting right here on the front row. I'm not trying to embarrass him. I'm not trying to talk bad about him. I'm trying to give you some instruction and tell you the difference, the reason that a lot of folks have problems with all these rules, all these rules. Well, if they're biblical rules, then what's the, what's the real issue? And the issue is, is that nobody's bored your ear through with an all not telling all the fellas to walk out of here and go down to Claire's and get your ears pierced. <laughs> Some folks have done that before. That's an, that's an inside joke. I guess all the folks laughing know what that's all about. But anyways, not going to embarrass anybody. Oh, but what's going on is a lot of folks never, they'd never had something done to their ear. You don't love, you don't love the Lord. You love the Lord. Listen to me. You love the Lord. All those rules will turn into delights. Yeah, right. yeah. Prove it, Brother Nathan. Okay, Psalm 119. You said, Brother Nathan, that's a long chapter. I know you've at least read through it once or twice, haven't you? Come on. I know Psalm 119 is not one of those chapters that you skip over like 1 Chronicles chapters 1 through 8 because of all the names. 
A lot of folks hit First Chronicles chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8, and they say, Hey, man, that's somebody's family genealogy. That's important. Read it. Well, Psalm 119, it, the writer is proclaiming, I love God's book. I love God's Word. I love God's law. I love your precepts. I love your ordinances. How does that happen? You fall in love with the person who gave them. And then I'll say this. This is just as true. You know how you fall in love with the person who gave them? Fall in love with the rules. That's circular reasoning, Brother Nathan. Well, there's plenty of it in this world, but that circular reasoning works. Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. You want to change your mind about the animosity that you have in your heart towards God's law, first thing you need to do is you need to get saved. That would cure a lot of folks right there. I'm doing my best to teach, but this ain't working too well. That would cure a lot of folks right there. You want to cure the animosity that you got in your heart towards God's rules? Get saved. Get born again. Get a good dose of salvation. And let God change your life. Let God take you off the road to hell and put you on the road to heaven. That will actually give you some joy. When you see what you deserve, I deserve to be in hell with my back broken, gasoline britches on. Boy, I, hey, God saved me. Boy, this is actually not too bad. Thank you, Lord. Now, what you want me to do? That'll be the natural question that comes after it. Uh, before that, you've just been. See, that's that servanthood thing. It's a thing of humility. It's, it, it's a thing of humility. You get saved, and the thing is, oh, boy, I, I deserve to be in hell. Boy, I'm an unworthy sinner. I'm a rotten sinner. God, save my soul. Now, Lord, what you want me to do? There's a humbling there. I think a lot of folks say that they got saved and they somehow missed that. Didn't I say at the beginning of the sermon, doesn't the Bible say in the book of Romans that you can't get saved until you realize you're a sinner? Once you realize you're a sinner and then God saved you, you know what that does? That's very humbling. I'm not going to do that. There's something wrong there. You know why folks get under conviction when you talk about something that they're supposed to do and they're not doing it? Because they know this God sent his son to die for my sins. And I didn't deserve it. God did it by his grace. And listen, whether or not you obey, whether or not you witness or read your Bible or pray on a regular basis, those are things that a Christian is supposed to do. It's your duty. But whether or not you do those things, if you trusted what Christ did for you at Calvary, you're going to heaven. But when you get up and somebody says, hey, you ought to be doing these things, there's something that goes on in the heart of a man that says, boy, I know I'm supposed to be doing that. This great God sent his son to die for my sins, and I didn't deserve that. See, what it is is it's the love of Christ constraineth us. Yes, sir. There's a pull there. Somebody that's constantly sitting back and saying, why do I have to do that? Something don't, something ain't right. You jumped over a necessary part of salvation. You say, what part is that? The humbling part. That's a fact. Brother Nathan, are you trying to talk us out of our salvation? 
No, it's not my concern in that regard. The Bible says you're to examine yourself. But I will say this, man, I don't know of anybody that's ever got born again before they got knocked down. Paul on the road to Damascus, he gets knocked down. Humility. There's some, there's some humiliation there. Listen, Jesus Christ had to be humiliated in order to pay for your sins, did he not? Yeah. Then why would you be able to qualify for being born again unless God showed you what a wretch you are and that humiliates you? Thank God. Thank God doesn't put it up on a big screen for everybody else to see. But, man, there's a realization that comes on. There's a light bulb that comes on in a man's mind when he trusts Christ as a Savior. Man, I, I am a worm. Standing before God, I'm a worm. There's something there that registers. Now, what you want me to do? That was the first question out of Paul's mouth when he got saved. Saul. You know him as Paul. That's his common name because God changed his name. God changed yours too if you get saved. God changed you. Uh, first thing out of his mouth. Okay, what you want me to do? See, this stuff, I'm going back to Wednesday night a little bit, but it's, it's right and it's true and it's good. This stuff of, okay, I'm saved, and now a preacher says, well, okay, what you going to do? How are you going to get busy for God? Well, what do you mean? I'm not saved by works. You can't tell me that I have to do something. Well, I'm not telling you that you have to do something to be saved. But the Bible does say that you're saved unto. Yeah, that's right. Not by, unto good works. Yeah, that's right. So now that you're saved, there's something that should be going on that yeah. says, now nah, i got to get busy for yeah. God. That's not something that a preacher should constantly have to stand. I wish Brother Clint was here because I'd, I'd point at him. It's not something a preacher should have to stand up and say, get busy, get busy. That's something that there's a motor. The day that you got saved, there's something on the inside of your heart that should now be working. Yeah. Things should be, the, gro the groove should be greased. Uh, the, the, the oil should be pumping to every corner of your heart. God's holy anointing oil. The Holy Ghost should be pumping throughout your whole heart saying, now let's go, let's do something, let's get busy. I mean, you've despised this Christianity for the whole part of your life before you got saved, or at the least. Some of us grew up in church, but you know what's true about that is we was apathetic towards this Christianity. Before I got saved, I came to church because my daddy was a preacher. It's a pastor. I had to be in church. But man, the day that you get saved, it's no longer I'm coming because daddy's a preacher. I'm coming because, hey, God saved me. Yeah, Little seven-year-old boy on his way to hell. <gasps> boy, I've said that in this church before and had visitors here and man, watched them. A seven-year-old boy on his way to hell? That's what the Bible says. I understand all the things about the age of accountability. I understand all those things. But God convicted me. God dealt with my heart, and sure, I'm glad my mom and daddy didn't say, no, no, you're too, you're too young for that. They just asked, do you know you're a sinner? Sure do. Do you know Jesus died for your sins? Sure do. Okay, call on him. Yes, sir. That, that's a fact. Anyways, uh, we'll get through this sermon, I promise you. We got a long ways to go. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm 
Don't panic. Don't panic. Let me say this. Maybe I can sum this up. Let me say a couple of other things, but let me just say this. I got two more points that I want to make, and I try to make them as quickly as the Lord will let me. I'm not going to rush too fast, but I will say this. I will say this. Your separation from a thing is never going to be complete until you separate unto some things. And in the text, it's not some things, it's a thing. It's separated unto the gospel. It's separated unto the gospel. Now listen, God saved your soul. You know how he did that? He did that through the death, burial, and resurrection of his son. That's 1 Corinthians 15. That's the definition of the gospel. Nothing more, nothing less. The death, burial, resurrection of his son. Romans says you've got to believe. You've got to call. Repentance toward God. Acts chapter 20, 22, I believe it is. You gotta, you've got to repent and you've got to believe. You've got to exercise faith. Repentance and faith. Repentance uh, toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Those two things are necessary, but it's through the gospel. Now, why not as a Christian dedicate yourself to it? Romans chapter 1, verse 16. You're right there in Romans 1, 1, verse 16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Well, why not, Paul? Because it works. Boy, here's an old drunkard. What are we going to do to get him off of his beer? I know. We'll send him to Alcoholics Anonymous. And so he'll sit in a room for the rest of his life saying, Hi, my name is John, and I'm an alcoholic. Or you could send him down to the church. And let a preacher tell him why he's an alcoholic. Why he's so attracted to all that booze. It's because you're a sinner. But if you'll let Jesus Christ save your soul, God will clean clean you out. God will wash away your sins. God will change you. And fellow, run down to an aisle. Oh God, I'm such a sinner. Call on God. God save his soul. And that fellow stay in church. Let a preacher preach to him. Stay in his Bible. Stay on his knees. Start getting busy for the Lord. And all of a sudden you look at him two or three or five or ten years later. And this guy's a Bible-toting evangelist. Let me see you get that out of your Alcoholics Anonymous. Or your Reformers Unanimous. Brother Nathan, what you got against all these things? Nothing except the fact that they don't work. By the time that guy who's a drunkard and he gets saved and he's been in church for a couple of years and he's been reading his Bible and trying to stay faithful to God, by the time he's five years removed from that event and you take him and set him next to the guy who's been in Alcoholics Anonymous for five years, this guy's still saying, Hi, my name's John, and I'm an alcoholic. And this guy's saying, I'm saved! The gospel works. Nothing else does. Well, you know, brother, we've got to take this guy and we've got to send him off to rehab. No, the gospel is God's rehab program. You've got to get saved. You've got to learn how to yield your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let God manage that life. See, the problem is you're running your life into the ground. Let God run it for a change. You don't know what you're doing. You don't know what you're doing. That's how you got here. Okay, let God have control. Let, open up a Bible and say, now, God, I've been running my life for the last 50 years. It's a long time to be running your life and then all of a sudden relinquish control. But okay, Lord, I don't know what I'm doing because I've been living according to my will for the last 50 years and it hasn't worked. Now show me what your will is. You saved my soul. I thank you for that, God, but I want to bring you glory and honor. Now show me. Show me. And just start reading. And keep reading till the day you croak. Yeah. 
like die, not croak like a bullfrog, die. Read until the day you die and just let God keep showing you and let God keep showing you and let God keep showing you and stay in church and let a preacher preach you hide off and tell him, hey, you need to stop this. You need to start doing this. You need to stop doing this. You need to start doing that. And just let God build you. It works. The gospel works. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why? It is the power of God. Hi, my name is such and such, and I'm a Republican. Would you vote for such and such? Folks will do that before they'll. Hi, my name is such and such, and I'm a member of such and such a Baptist church, and I just want to talk to you about Jesus Christ. Yeah. Vote all you want, man. I, I vote. I'm not telling you that's wrong. What I'm telling you is folks got confidence in politics where they ain't got confidence in the Bible. It's true. The gospel, folks, listen, the gospel works. That's where the power is. That's where the juice is. Huh? Can I use that terminology? I'm not trying to be disrespectful to the Lord or to his precious gospel, but that's where the juice is. That's where you get plugged in, man. I'm just really, I'm just really bored in church. You're not plugged in. Serve. 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 Get busy. What do I do? What did Paul do? Ain't he your New Testament pattern? Huh? Paul said, I'm the apostle to the Gentiles. Rest of them fellows, they're apostles to the Jews. I'm not saying you can't take no example from them, but Paul deliberately said, explicitly said, I'm the apostle to the Gentiles. Book of Romans. I'm the apostle to the Gentiles. What did Paul start doing? I'll tell you what Paul didn't do. Paul didn't sit around. Listen to me. Paul didn't sit around the day after he got saved. He didn't go sit in a church house somewhere and say, I wonder how I can remodel this building. You know why? Because that ain't spiritual. Let me show you something. This this is the point that I really want to close with. It might take me a little bit to develop this thing. But look at what he says in Romans 1 verse 1. He says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto what? Okay. Now look with me over in verse 9. He says, for God is my witness whom I serve with my what? It's spiritual service, ain't it? Whom I serve with my spirit where? In the gospel of his son. You know, what, you know what serving God in regards to the gospel is? It's spiritual service. And that is why it's repulsive to carnal people. It's a fact. I've met a lot of carnal folks that are, you know, show, show up on street preaching ministry and show up on church visitation. I've met a lot of carnal folks that are that way. But let me give you a little illustration. Preachers stand up on Sunday morning and say, we're going to have dinner on the grounds next Sunday after the morning service. In a church full of 100 people, the next Sunday 150 will show up. (laughs) Who's going to turn down a free meal? Uh, Boy, they come out of the woodwork. Uh, Folks ain't been to church in 20 years, but their name's on the roll. We don't let that go on here. We just take your name off the roll. You don't show up for about three months. We don't call. We just take your name off the roll. Well, don't you think you ought to vote? No. No, I don't think we ought to vote. Maybe some things we ought to vote on. uh, Maybe that's true. But taking folks off the church roll because they don't show up to church, that's not one of them. 
Quit sending your dues to the NRA. Yeah. Yeah. Huh? Let's see, if, let's see if they let you remain a member. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm? If you so backslid as to be a member of the Masonic Lodge, quit sending your dues to the... I said if you so backslidden as to be a member of the Masonic Lodge. Yeah. If you so backslidden as to be a member of the Masonic Lodge. Anyways, just figured I'd throw that in there. But uh, quit sending them your dues. You haven't paid your dues. We're getting ready to terminate your membership. You haven't been down to the lodge in the last three months. Of course, they're not going to say that as long as you're sending in your dues. But the moment a preacher starts preaching about how you should tithe and show up to church, that's all this guy ever preaches about. That's foolish. That's stupid. All oh, that money-grubbing preacher. That money-grubbing Masonic Lodge. Huh? Yeah. That's stupid. Lest I say you're stupid. Because I know nobody in here is that foolish to think that way. At least I hope you're not. I really mean that. I hope you're not foolish to think that way. Carnal people don't like spiritual service. It's a, it's a fact. You know, carnal folks, carnal fo folks in a church are folks who will do anything except get engaged with spiritual things. We're going to remodel the church building. Folks show, oh, I got distracted a little bit. We're going to have dinner on the grounds on Sunday. And a church full of 100, 150 will show up the next Sunday. Yeah. That same preacher get up in the same congregation and say, now Thursday night we're going to have prayer meeting. And we're going to get in here and we're going to lock ourselves in. We're going to pray all night. Maybe one will show up. Most of the time, the preacher won't even show up. Probably be his wife. Hmm? Ain't that right? That, that's about how things operate right now. That's, I wonder what's wrong with our churches, why we don't have no power. I'll tell you why, because folks are not in a spiritual mindset. Fo folks are really more interested. Folks are really more interested in, are you bringing chicken and dumplings to the church dinner on Sunday? Yeah. Hmm? It wouldn't be chicken and dumplings. Are you bringing your chicken and dumplings? <laughs> huh? That's about how it would be. Uh, are you bringing your spiral ham? I still got some spiral ham in my freezer. I'm not telling you where I got it from. Uh, but that's what folks is interested in. I really want to serve God, Brother Nathan. Okay, get out and witness. No, I mean, like I really want to do something for the church. Okay, get out and witness. No, I mean, I really just, I'll translate it for you. I want to do something in the church so everybody will pat me on the back and say, what a wonderful job you did. That's what folks mean. It's carnal service. It's carnal. Hey, necessary. Necessary. When church dinner time comes around, church dinner on the grounds, if nobody brings something, nobody's going to eat. So it's got to be brought. And I appreciate it. I was going to say the Lord appreciates it, but I, I don't want to put those words in, his, in the Lord's mouth because I don't see anywhere in the Bible where it says the Lord appreciates that you bring something on church dinners. Huh? And I say that with a little bit of jest, but the fact is, is that's true. But every single one of you have a command to preach the gospel. Maybe not stand behind the pulpit, but to proclaim it. 
Hey, listen, you've got a command to pray for your brothers and sisters. You've got a command to pray for lost folks. You, hey, pour your heart out to God. Well, no, I'd really like to, you know, I'd really like to have a ladies' meeting. I'm not trying to jump all over the ladies, but this is stuff that I've heard before. I'd really like to have a ladies' meeting. Why? Ain't this ladies' meeting enough right here? I guess not. I think it is. What you guys plotting anyway? Huh? You going to make some oleander tea and put it in somebody's cup? Some of y'all don't even know what oleander is. Uh, it's a tree. It's supposed to be a poison. It's like hemlock. <laughs> but anyways, I'll cut the church grass, Brother Nathan. Okay, how about studying your Bible, though? Listen, I'm not trying to jump on folks and tell you that you're not supposed to be doing all this physical stuff, but carnal people who are minded carnally have a heart. That it's easy for them to do all the carnal stuff. But the moment somebody stands up and says, hey, you need to be engaged in this spiritual stuff. Well, no, I just don't think that I'm cut out for that stuff. Oh, you mean you're not saved? That's what 1 Corinthians 2 and 3 says. Either you're not saved or 1 Corinthians 3 says you're just carnal. Which is why the preacher constantly has to come by with a pacifier and say, shh, sunk. Hmm? Got to burp the baby. Where's, uh, what's her name? Where's your dog? Oh, she's asleep. She brought her, she brought her baby doll. I was going to pick it up and burp it for you. Hmm? Or maybe that was this morning. I don't remember. That's, that's what you're dealing with out of the average church member. Brother Nathan, we show up to church. Yeah, but what about what's going on on the inside? Well, I'm here. Yeah, but you're a wooden Indian in the pew. It's not spiritual service, man. Hey, I, I'm glad you're here. It's right to be here. But you see what I'm saying? He said, Paul said, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son. is spiritual service. It's spiritual service. Okay, now let me, let me say this. Let me say this and I'll be finished. I'm not going to close my Bible because every time I close my Bible, y'all close your Bible. It's almost like y'all are done listening. I don't like that. I'm done closing my Bible. I close my Bible after I pray. Maybe not even then. We'll see if y'all keep your Bibles open. A bunch of backslidden. Ah. Now listen. Brother Nathan, I really want to be, I really want to serve. You know, I really want to cut the church grass which you can't have that job because my wife will probably kill you. But for some reason, she likes to be on a lawnmower. I, I don't know what that's all about. That's weird to me. But you need to hire her. Brother Joe, y'all need to hire her. Send her out and let her make some money at least. <laughs> of course, she's a good cook. Uh, I'll keep her. Y'all don't hire her. I really want to serve, Brother Nathan. I want to serve in all this carnal stuff. What about all this spiritual stuff? What about praying? What about studying your Bible? I don't get anything. That's probably because you ain't been studying long enough. And I don't mean, listen, I don't mean just in one sitting. I mean throughout an extended period of time. 
I think I asked Brother Dylan the other day when first time, I may have even asked him from the pulpit the first time he started cutting grass, did he miss some? Well, man, the first time you start really reading and studying your Bible, you're going to miss some stuff. You got to give it some time, man. You got to stick with it. You got to let somebody come up next to you and say, no, you're a little bit, you missed a couple of sprigs of Bahia over here. Go over that one more time. Oh, Brother Nathan, I saw this in my Bible. Brother Curtis, I saw this in my Bible. Brother, Brother Chris, I saw this in my Bible. No, you probably need to go over that one more time. Just run right over that. It, you'll get it. You've got to give it some time. But see, what folks are doing is, I want to be involved with all this carnal stuff. Necessary stuff, but carnal stuff. And you know, the fact is, is that if you're not willing to do the spiritual side of things, you're not qualified to do anything in a church. Yep. Amen. Let me ask you something. If you don't want to witness, and you don't want to pray, and you don't want to study your Bible, let me ask you something. What do you have to really contribute to a church? I'm going to tell you, and I'm not trying to be a jerk, but I'm, I'm trying to get you to think. I'm going to tell you what you have to contribute. Very little. Very little. I'm willing to cut grass. I'm willing to, you know, remodel the church. I'm willing to, you know, make dinners for people in the church. I'm willing to, all that stuff is wonderful and great, but that is, that, none of that stuff is anywhere in the New Testament. None of it. None of it. Show me a place in the New Testament where God puts a big emphasis on buildings. I mean, I'm thankful for a place that's heated and cooled and got padded pews and got a place to put my Bible while I'm down here preaching. I'm thankful for those things, but that is not the spiritual side of things. And you are a Christian. God saved you. This is spiritual service. This is just not entertaining enough. It's supposed to be spiritual. See what I'm trying to get across to you? Now listen, you're not willing to go that route, not willing to go that way with God. What do you have to contribute to a church? And I'm not trying to call Miss Faye out, but I'll, I'll use this illustration. What do you have to contribute? Chicken and dumplings? Huh? You know some folks, that's all they have. Well, I can make some hot dogs. Anybody can make hot dogs. You're making me feel insignificant. Well, if you're not engaged spiritually, you are. Yeah, that's right. Amen. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. You lose your mind about that if you want to, but I'm telling you, if you're not engaged in the spiritual side of things, you have nothing to give. And I'm not telling you that the rest of the folks that are in the church are better than you and they have something to give and you don't. What I'm telling you is get involved with the spiritual side of things. Yeah, that's right. You have something to give if you'll get involved with the spiritual aspect of the church, not just the carnal stuff. Uh, We've got Sunday school teachers, three Sunday school teachers in here. The amount of people that want to go into a church and teach Sunday school classes are innumerable. But you know what a lot of them don't want to do? They don't want to study to prepare for Sunday school. A lot of preachers want to preach, but they don't want to study. Don't want to read their Bible. Don't want to pray. You say, why? Because it's spiritual. You know how you can mark out a carnal Christian? They hate three things. They hate witnessing. They hate somebody trying to legislate their life. Paul said in Romans 7, the law is spiritual. 
There's something spiritual about that thing. They don't want somebody legislating their life. They don't like to be a gospel witness, and they don't like preaching. Carnal man looks at preaching and says, that's foolish. It's spiritual service. Now, let me ask you something. Uh, take Wednesday night and take tonight and put them together. Let me ask you something. Are you a servant? Are you a servant? I can tell you this. If you're not separated, you're going to have a hard time serving God. Well, Brother Nathan, I'm not doing this and I'm not doing that. Okay, praise the Lord. I'm glad about that. You've got to do that. That separation from some things has got to be had. Now, what are you separated to? Let me ask you something. I'll put, it, I'll put that term separation unto, I'll put it to you like this. Here's a term for you. Dedication. Consecration. Devotion. You know what the Lord says? He says, be holy for I am holy. You know what the Bible says in the last chapter of, I believe it's the book of Leviticus. You know what it says? It says, every devoted thing is most holy unto the Lord. You're going to have a hard hurdle that you're not going to be able to jump over unless you devote yourself. This is New Testament Christianity that you're looking at. You don't get any more New Testament than the book of Romans. You want to find out where to get saved, how a man gets saved in the church age? It's right here. It's right in the book of Romans. And before you get out of the first verse, the man who is our example, other than Jesus Christ, Paul followed Christ, we follow Christ, but Paul said, I'm your apostle. I'm your pattern in the New Testament. The man who follows the Lord Jesus Christ, the man who's our pattern, he says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto. Well, I don't do this, and I don't do that, and I don't do this. Yeah, but what are you dedicated to? What are you given to? That is going to tell the kind of Christian that you are, it's going to tell the kind of Christian that I am. Just look at what you're dedicated to. Yes, sir. All right. Lord, we thank you, God, for your goodness tonight. Lord, I pray that you take these things, Lord, that have been said. Use them for your glory and honor. God, I, I pray.